0: Welcome to the Echo Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. Let's stand to our feet and welcome Chris as he comes up. Well, good morning. Good morning. It is great to be here. Thank you, Justin and, and Lee. Don't you have great pastors? That wasn't too convincing. Don't you have great pastors? Well, happy Father's Day to the fathers. And, um, you know, I, when I actually accepted this invitation, obviously we had to change the dates, you know, at the last minute. And uh, after I said yes to coming back this weekend, I, uh, after I got off the phone, I'm like, oh, it's Father's Day. I, I have, I've walked out of my family on Father's Day, and it's been a priority in my life. To never miss uh, my, our anniversary, my wife's birthday, never ever miss any of my kids' birthdays, Father's Day. Uh, always, always gonna be home uh, during those things. And uh, so this is uh, one of those exceptions. So I called my daughter up, and uh, who, who lives in Auckland, one of my daughters lives in Auckland, and told her that I wasn't, uh, I sort of kind of broke it to her gently. And she said, oh, well, that's actually really good because I forgot as well, and I've got plans to go away. So we celebrated, uh, we celebrated Father's Day. I went out for lunch with her last, with last Sunday, and, uh, and that was great. And I had my other daughter who lives in the United States call me this morning and uh, wish me a happy Father's Day. And I uh, said, so happy Father's Day to all the fathers here. Who are the fathers? Where are you? Put your hand up. Bless you. You have such an important role. You have such, such an important role in the family and in the church, so bless you for everything that you do. Yeah. I also had, I had, sometimes, you know, sometimes in life we just, we just need a father to tell us they're proud of us, and uh, so I woke to a text message this morning from Pastor Bill just saying, I'm so proud of you, Chris, and it's like, it's just enough sometimes to like, that's all, just, so I need, to just to charge on through the day, Amen. Well, bless you. Let's have a good morning. I want to start with a funny story. We uh we moved back to New Zealand and uh, we bought we have a cat and a dog and uh, we uh, you know I I we wanted to bring our cat and dog back and uh, my wife uh, my wife said you know we're taking them back and I said well that's going to depend on the cost. And uh, my daughter said, "If you don't bring the dog back, I'll never forgive you." So it's like, "Okay, the dog's coming back. I don't care about the cost. My relationship's worth more." And uh, I, I knew how to fix the dog for about twenty-five cents. It's called a bullet. <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> he cost me more than three. He cost me more than three airline seats and the container to to bring him back and uh, so we brought the cat and the dog back and they came back two days after us and we picked them up about uh, about fourteen days after we after we landed and uh, so our cat our cat's name's Monty and uh, Monty is this ginger Tom and uh, he's uh, he's probably the friendliest thing I've ever seen but uh, when we moved into our house there's four houses the same and uh, and the uh, we had no neighbors on either side and uh, so so Monty kind of he's very territorial. So Monty just thought all three houses are his. And uh, he just roamed the neighborhood, and he just took control of the neighborhood, and it's like, this is my neighborhood, you know, it's, it is mine, you know, he's this big ginger tom. And anyway, so a, a month or so go by, and uh, the, the house next to us, sells, and the neighbors move in, and they move in with Jack, and uh, Jack is just this, you know, male, male cat, you know, and Jack's very territorial. And uh, very territorial, so the two of them start fighting, and uh, they're fighting bad. I mean, Monty would go into their house. I don't know how he gets into their house, but he'd go into their house at night, and he'd hunt Jack out for an indoor fight. <laughs> right? I mean, and he'd wake the neighbors up, and the neighbors come to me, and they're like, you know, you know, Monty comes into our house at night, and I said, oh, I'm, I'm sorry about that. You know, like, you know, he, he fights our cat at night, and in the house, he hunts him out for a fight, and I'm like oh, I'm sorry about that. And they're like, it, it, it's okay, we're trying to, I, I, she said, my mission, her name's Rebecca, she goes, my mission in life is to make Monty and Jack friends. And I'm like, okay. And she said, so I'm gonna, I've been giving him treats. What treats does he like best? And I said, oh, no, no, uh, Monty's not good with treats. He tends to vomit them. And she goes, yes, I noticed, all over my floor. <laughs> right. So, I mean, we're just like, really striking things off well, you know? And, um, Anyway, so one night I'm a, one night I'm asleep and uh, and I hear uh, Father Christmas and his sleigh land on the roof. It was the cats brawling across the roof of the house. You know they just, you know, and I'm like, oh my gosh, like guys, what are you doing? Anyway, so the morning comes by and Monty Monty walks into the house and uh, he's not he's not good. He is not good. His eyes kind of like swollen shut and his eyes kind of hanging out a little and. You know, he's, he's, he's just, he's sore and he's bed up and he's bleeding and he just climbs up on the end of the bed and he just sleeps for three days straight. He just doesn't get off. Right. And I'm like, gosh, you know, I just looked at him and said, I just want to know who won the fight. (laughs) Like, how's Jack? You know? And anyway, so 24 hours go by and there's a knock at the door and I answered the door and it's Rebecca and Rebecca's like, um, Hey Chris, um, have you seen Jack? And I'm like, no, I, no, I haven't, but I'll keep an eye out. <laughs> I'll be watching for Jack. Like, I'm sorry, is Jack missing? She goes, I haven't seen him for 24 hours. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know, I'm, I'll, you know please let me know if you find Jack. And, and she, she's crying, and she leaves, and I immediately phone my wife, and I'm like, Jack's missing. Rebecca's looking for Jack don't you dare tell her that we know they're in a fight because I don't want to incite Monty on murder, right? And I walk in and I wake Monty up and I'm like, buddy, did you murder Jack? And he just kind of rolls over and go, goes back to sleep. And I'm like, well you, you, well, you know, you may have an eye hanging out, but you're alive. <laughs> anyway, so, so another 24 hours go by and I said to my wife, you know, hey, we better, we better do the pastoral thing, you know, like, why don't you go over and see Rebecca and see if she's found Jack and she knocks on the door and Rebecca comes to the door and Rebecca's sobbing, sobbing and she's like, and Liz is like, uh, my wife's like, well, what's, what's the problem? And she said, Liz, she said, Jack's dead. And my wife's like, oh. And she said, what happened? And she said, we, we found him up the road and he is, he is dead. And she's just, she's sobbing. She's just a complete mess. And she said, so we, we went and we scooped him up and we put him in a box and we took him to a family farm and we had a little family, a family funeral for Jack and we buried him. And she said, I, I love Jack. I just miss Jack so much. And she came home and she said, Chris, she said, Jack's dead. And I'm like, Oh gosh, you know, I'm not, you know, I've got a bit of remorse going on now. You know, I'm like the pastoral side's coming out. I'm like, oh, this is not not good. You know, like you're a murderer, buddy. Like you're you're a murderer. You're a convicted murderer. Anyway, so another twenty four hours go by, and we're driving out the drive one morning, and Rebecca's on the on a balcony, and she yells out to us, and she goes, "Hey!" And we're like, oh gosh, you know, she knows she knows it was Monty, you know. And we're like we wind down the window and she runs out to the car and we're like, What's going on, Rebecca? And she goes, Oh, you'd never guess what And I'm like, What? And she said, Last night Jack walked back in <laughs> And we're like, Well what? no but you told us that Jack was dead and she goes, Yeah, we must have scooped up another black cat off the road. <laughs> we buried the wrong black cat, we just thought it was Jack, but it wasn't, so So if you're looking for your cat, if you've lost your cat, we know where it is, right? (laughs) It's it's buried on a family farm somewhere. (laughs) It wasn't Jack. So so that was kind of our introduction back into New Zealand with our uh, Jack came back. Jack came back. I've got a worse story, but it's not one for church. (laughs) I got permission to tell that one because that had a redemptive end. Jack, Jack came back. Amen? You know, it's, uh, it's, it's Father's Day uh, today, and uh, I wanted to— there are, there are a couple of things that are on my heart that, uh, that I, I never got to yesterday in, uh, in sharing that I'm like, I, I really wanted to speak about the boldness of prayer, and something that's really on my heart, the, the boldness of prayer, because like I said uh, yesterday, it's, I, I believe it's the normal expression. It should be the normal expression of our lives to have answers to our prayers the normal expression, that when we minister to the sick, they shall be healed. And it's a it's standard that Jesus is the standard, and he is the, he is the standard and he is the role model of which I acquire to, of which I, I live out of. And I, I wanted to talk on the boldness of prayer, but but then I also realized that uh, coming over here, I'm like, oh, gosh, it's, it's Father's Day, and I've got this message that I love to preach on the heart of the Father and I've, I've, never had to, I've never had the opportunity to preach it on Father's Day. And I'm like, well, what, a, what a more appropriate day than to preach the message on the Father's heart on Father's Day. See, I'm, I'm convinced that if we just understood the heart of a father, if we actually understood the goodness of the father and the love of a father, that, that the majority of our issues would go away. That if we actually understood the heart of a father, that the father has towards us, is that most that most people in life we we live this life of not really understanding the heart of the father. And if we don't understand that, if we don't understand the the, the heart that he has towards us, understand the goodness of the father, everything in life will be misshewed. Everything will be out of order. And I, I see many Christians that. They, I, I find that, you know, I obviously mix with thousands of Christians in a year and, you know, just so many people that I find that many believers are actually extremely unbalanced. And when I say unbalanced, it's that, you know, we, we have a pretty good revelation in the church of Jesus, well, in most churches. Some churches, I don't know that they don't know if Jesus walked in. <laughs> but you know, we have a pretty good revelation of Jesus, and, and we could, let's put it in this analogy is that, you know, like Jesus is one leg on our stool. And it's an important leg that we have on our stool. It's a critical leg. Everything I talk about is the person of Jesus. And we have this one leg on our stool It's the you know, Jesus is the, the healer and he's, you know, everything. Jesus is the savior and, and Jesus is the provider and, you know, it's every, everything on that, we need that leg on the stool. But we can talk about another leg on that stool, and that would be the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. And that's just as is critical. We need that leg on our stool. We need the leg of the Holy Spirit on our stool. But we wonder why we're so imbalanced, because we know we've got one leg on the stool of Jesus, and we've got the other leg of the power of the Holy Spirit, who's the, who's the, in, who's the comforter, who's the empowerer. And I could teach this just as much on the power of the Holy Spirit as I could on Jesus. But we wonder why we live this unbalanced life, and we wonder why life seems a little unbalanced at times as believers, and it's because a stall was never designed to have two legs. And there's a third leg that you need on a stool to make the stool balance that we can actually live around life. And sometimes we, in church, we reference that third leg as God, but we don't understand that He's actually our Father. He's actually the loving Father. He's actually our Dad. He is our loving, present Father. And there's actually the, the word Abba Father, it's uh, it's one of the only words in the Bible that was not translated out of the original Aramaic into English because it's there as Abba Father, which is the most endearing term that you can call Father. See, I wanted to talk to you this morning about the heart of a father. And, and I've looked back on my life and realized that I've been in ministry now for for 25 years and I've been a father for, uh, you know, a biological father for 27 years coming up with three daughters and I realized that most of my failures in my life, uh, of most of my failures in life and in leadership and in business and all those kind of things have, because I failed to portray the heart of a father. See, sometimes we can be, we strive to be a great leader or we strive to be a great provider. We, we strive for these different things. We, we, we strive to provide for our kids, which all those things are important, but sometimes they just need to know that their father loves them. They just need to be told that their father's proud of them. And to be able to FaceTime both of my girls FaceTime me this morning—one from Nashville, Tennessee, and one from the United States—and my, my third girl has been she's been sick all night. She's been vomiting all night. It's the hardest thing to be away when you when your daughter's sick. And I, I FaceTimed her this morning, and she's lying in bed, not doing not doing very well, with just zero emotions. And I'm like, she hears my voice, and she's like, "Papa," that's what she calls me, "Papa," "Papa." And I'm like, do I get a smile? And she just goes. I said, do I, get a, do I get a kiss? And she's. See, I'm talking to you about the heart of a father because sometimes we, we strive to do those, to be the, the provider, but sometimes all is, our kids want is a hug. See, a number of years ago, while on staff, I went to the head theologian who I reported to, uh, Dan Farrelly, who's now the senior pastor of Bethel Church, and I said to Dan, Dan, I said, I, I, I really I really need, I, I really want to see greater miracles. I, I really need to see another level of my life. I'm seeing some incredible things, but I really need to see more. And he said to me, Chris, he said, can I suggest something to you I think it's. I feel like it's a real season for you to, to push into a greater understanding of the heart of a father, of what it means to be a father. Could somebody get me a tissue, please? To, to really understand what it means to be to be a father. Thank you. And i i kind of felt a, I kind of felt a little, uh, I kind of felt a little offended because I walked out of there thinking, or oh, d- does he think I'm an orphan? Like, I mean, I've got a pretty good understanding of what it means to be a father. And God has been taking me through that season of of just being, learning to be a great father, a present father. Not just the providing father, but the the present father that can take time for his kids. And I'm very serious when I say, uh, I've said it before here, is that if my kids call me in the middle of a message, I will stop to take the call from my children. I don't ma- it doesn't matter if there's 5,000 people in front of me. I will stop the meeting to take that call from my children. And that doesn't mean I'm going to go and have a 20-minute conversation with them. But I will connect with them because I don't want my kids to think that I'm too busy changing the world that I don't have time to be the present father. And um, so I, I walked out of that meeting with Dan. And I was kind of a little offended that, that day. And I, I went to bed that night. And, and, in, and during the night, I have this dream. And in the dream, the, uh, this voice comes, and this voice says, yet it was the Lord's plan to crush him and to cause him grief, which we know is Isaiah 53, verse 10. And then it says, and then the voice said, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. And we know that it's Hebrews twelve two. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. But then the voice said, and that joy is you. And then it repeated, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, and that joy is you. And it repeated, and it repeated, and I must have been five to seven thousand times in the night where it just replayed in my head, resounding in my head. It was the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross, and that joy is you. And I woke up in the morning feeling like I'd been tormented by his goodness, I'm like, oh my gosh, okay, God, I, I think I've got it. I I am actually, I am actually your, your joy. You don't just tolerate me. You, you don't just love me. It's your contractual obligation to love me, but you actually like me. Like you actually like me. You like me just as I am. You're you know, like I am your son, and you're my Abba Father, and that's the relationship that he wants us to have. And I, I began this journey. I began this journey of like realizing that that's when I really, really realized that most of my failures as a parent is not that I was a bad father. I mean, my kids adore me, and I adore my kids. But I realized that most of my failures in my life were because I, I had not portrayed that of a heart of a father. I was more interested in being the provider and uh, so i see i've got three daughters i already told you that and i got a, I got a special needs daughter who's t- who's 26 who's the one i mentioned that i've just i've got a video camera in her room and i can zoom in on her room and i can talk to her at nighttime and pray for her at night and she can't see me but i can say hello it's papa and she like just about jumps out of bed out of fright because this voice just comes out of the roof and i can you know she, she gets a heck of a fright and uh, but my my middle daughter is she, she is uh, my middle daughter is kinda like special needs too, but she's on the other end of the spectrum. On the complete other end of the spectrum because when she, she's twenty four and she's fluent in two languages and she's she's what you call a genius. She she's just literally a genius. And she doesn't she doesn't think like I think. And at the age of five we knew that she was we knew that she was pretty smart, you know, like all parents think their kids are geniuses, right? So we sent her to the society to get tested, and she undergoes this five-hour examination with the doctor. And uh, the doctor phones us up. It was a test to see whether she's a genius or not. And the doctor phones us up and says, uh, "Mr. Gore, your daughter is not a genius. She's not. She's not gifted." And I said, "Okay, well, at least you know. At least, at least we know. Thanks. You know." He goes, "No, she's extraordinarily gifted." She's in the one percentile of education of any child we've ever tested. I mean, she is up there. And I'm like, huh, where'd she get that from? (laughs) I say to my kids all the time, like, man, you're so beautiful. Where'd you get your looks from? And they're like, (laughs) mum. I said, you're so smart. Where'd you get your brains from? (laughs) mum? I said to my daughter in Tennessee, what'd you get from me? And she goes, taught me how to cook ribs. (laughs) so so they said they said we, we we even tested her thought process of the way she thinks and said you know this is at five like at the age of two she you could hand her a book and she would read the entire book out loud sentence by sentence she had grammatical and center structure down pat at the age of two so the age of five, you know, she gets tested, and the doctor says she doesn't have a thought process of a five-year-old. She has a process, a thought process of a sixteen-year-old. She thinks like a 16-year-old. Now you can see why I joke about having a special needs child at the other end of the spectrum. I mean, she is just like, she is out there. She is, she is smart. She has just completed her master's. You know, she did her master's in just a few months. You know I mean? She's just a smart, smart girl. She did her bachelor's in the United States and then came back to New Zealand to do a master's. She is just smart. See, my, my daughter doesn't think the way I think. And uh, anyway, so... She doesn't think politically like I think. She doesn't think uh, there's a lot of things. She doesn't think about church the way I think. She's just she's just a completely different paradigm to me, and uh, so but so she was, she was kind of a handful to a handful to raise. And uh, anyway, so the day came where she went. She university came and she wanted to go to university and and I I, I she actually applied for a, a well-known Christian college in uh, Los Angeles and. She got a full ride scholarship. Full ride, everything was going to be covered. If you have any idea how much university is in United States, you're looking at probably about a hundred thousand US dollars a year to go to university. And she gets a full ride, and I'm thinking, yeah, <laughs> I'm the one that saves here. And she goes, Dad, but that's not where I want to go. I'm like, oh, where do you want to go? And she goes, I want to go to the best. You know. she she would already chosen one as the top 10 in the United States. It's called UC Davis. She goes, I want to go there. And she applies for a scholarship and gets zero. And she gets accepted. I'm like, oh. you know where she ended up going, right? Because the heart of a father is not controlling. The heart of a father is loving. So she ends up going to UC Davis and, and I'm thinking, well, this is just going to be a good day. It's going to be a great day that I drop her off. It's like she brought a bit of a storm into the house at times. You know, there's a clash of cultures and a clash of political views. And, and how many of you know that sometimes we can either be dead right or we can have relationship? And I found myself wanting to be more dead right than wanting to have a relationship. And we'd always argue. So the day came when she's off to university. And it was just two and a half hours from Reading. And I got to drive her there. And I'm like, this is going to be a good day. This is going to be a good day. It'll be a good day to send her off for a couple of years, and hopefully she grows up, you know. And, uh, and uh, so, I, I mean, I just I went down to UC Davis, and I just had a skip in my foot and a smile on my face, and I'm like, this is just going to be a good day to see her out of my house for four years, you know. And I get down there. I mean, I was just so happy to drop her off. I mean, it really was. I mean, this is just like, not, try not to show it to her, but I'm like, oh, this is just going to be so good. This is going to be so good. And I, I drop, and we're sitting in a coffee shop at UC Davis, and, I, and it, was a, it was a dark, rainy day, and I remember it so clearly, and I put sunglasses on sitting in the coffee shop, and she goes, Dad, she goes, why do you have sunglasses on? And I said, oh, because it's bright. And she goes, no, it's not. It's very dark, and it's rainy, and why do you have sunglasses on? And I'm like, uh, she goes, what is that leaking out under your glass? She said, are you crying? And I'm like, no, no. And I, I, left, I left UC Davis that day, and I drove home, and I cried for two weeks straight because I realized that most of my failures were because I forgot the the heart of a father wasn't betrayed. I strive to be the leader of the house. I strive to be the provider of the house, but I realized that there's just something missing, and that was just the, the heart of a father. And that's where, that's where this message really was birthed out of, See, it says, and I I want us to turn this morning to the book of uh, Luke, and it's a passage that we're probably all familiar with and we've probably read many times, and you've probably been preached it many times over the years, but I've kind of got this little habit of, like, I love to read between the lines, right? It's just, I love to look for the gems that are not written. Like, what is really being said there between that and that? There's something missing, you know? Like, what's really being said in there? And the story goes like this. It says, there was a certain man, it's Luke 15. Did I tell you that? Luke 15, chapter 11. There was a certain man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, give me the portions of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the youngest son, he gathered all, and he journeyed on a a journey to a far country, and he wasted his possessions with prodigal living. And when he had spent all, there arose a a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. And he went, and he joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent himself into the fields to feed the swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with uh, with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything." But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have enough bread to spare, and I perish in hunger? I will arise, and I'll go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and I've sinned against you uh, before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Just make me one of your hired servants. And when he came to his father, and the father saw him a great way off, and his father ran, had compassion on him, and he ran, and he fell on his neck and kissed him. And the father said, Sorry, and the son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in your sight, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I, I want us to back up a little bit to the start of that verse, and we're going to break this down a little bit, and we're going to read between the lines of what I believe has actually really been said. It says here in verse 11, and he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger, the younger of them said to his father, Give me the portions of goods that falls to me. So he divided his livelihood. See, the Father, the Father, our Heavenly Father, like us as fathers, we can either be controlling or loving. You can't be both. You cannot be a controlling Father and a loving Father. And this is actually a loving Father. See, this is a Jewish Father. And in a Jewish context, if you go to a Jewish father and you say, "Give me the goods, give me the portion of my inheritance that falls to me," it is so nasty in a Jewish context that what you're actually saying to your Jewish father is, "Just drop dead. Just—I—I prefer that you're actually dead, old man, because I want your money, because your money is worth more to me than you are." So he goes to the father. I mean, it's a direct insult against the father. But the father is this loving father. He's not a controlling father. And he gives the son the inheritance that he's due because he's not a controlling father. He is a loving father. And we know that the boy goes off and we know that he wastes his possession possessions on prodigal living, and he's with the prostitutes, and he's with the pigs, and he really comes to a complete end to himself. He comes to that complete end. And then it says in verse, it says, uh, he comes to himself, and he says, in verse 18, he said, I will arise, and I'll go to my father, and I'll say, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just make me one of your hired servants." See, many of us think that this is the son's great repentance speech. This is not his repentance speech because it's not to the father. This is him talking to himself, right? He's not talking to the father. So here he is. He's with the pigs. He realizes that life he had, he had life pretty good. He had life pretty good in the in the kingdom. He had pretty he had everything he needed. This is a rich father. He had everything he needed, and now he's got nothing because it's all gone. And he says, "I'm going to go back, and I'm going to talk to my father." And he begins this journey home. And he, I can just imagine him walking down the road, and he's practicing his little speech. He must have recited it over many times in his head. Like, what will I say? Will I say this? Will I say that? Will my father accept me? Will my father love me? Will my father kick me out? Will my father not want to know me? You know, what what will he say? And he comes to the father, and the Bible says that, it says, uh, and he arose, and he came to the father. But when he was a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. See, just because we turn our back on our Father, it doesn't mean our Father's not looking out for us. He is constantly, I tell you, the Father is not often in a hurry. But He is in a hurry when He wants His kids back. And He is in a hurry when He wants to fill His kids with His presence because He came into the upper room like a mighty rushing wind. I tell you, the Father wants His kids back. He wants his kids back. He wants the redemption of this nation. He wants his children back. And he is in a hurry to get that done. He wants his children back. And so he runs out to the father and he falls on him and he has compassion on him and he, and he, he ran and fell on his neck. See, that verse, that word there, ran, If you do a root word study on that word ran, it actually means that he outran. And to outrun means that you must must have been running faster than something else. He needed to be running faster than something else to get to the sun. See, my question is, is that if it means outran, what was he outrunning? What was he outrunning to get to the sun? See, the law says this in Deuteronomy 21. It says, If a man has a strong-willed son who goes against him and does not obey his father or his mother, then and when they punish him, he will not even listen to them, Then his father and his mother will take hold of him and he'll bring him to the leaders of the city, of the gates of the city, and they'll say to the leaders of the city, this son of ours, he's strong will and he goes against us. He will not obey us. He eats too much. He drinks too much. And then all the men of the city will kill him with stones. You must get rid of that sin amongst you and all of Israel will hear about it and be afraid. I would like to propose to you that the father, the father heart is is that he was outrunning the elders of the city and the leaders of the city because the leaders of the city wanted to stone the son but the father doesn't want to stone the son. The father wants to shower the son with kisses. See, we, we have a choice. We have a choice. If you're one of those people here that are just like, no, we need the law. We need the law. We need to be living under the law. We are under the law. Don't talk about grace of the love of the Father. We need the law. Then you tell me next time you mess up and we're gonna meet you at the back. We've got a bucket of stones out there already. We'll see you then what you think about the law. See, the father's heart is, is that he doesn't want to shower you with stones. The father's heart is is that he actually wants to shower us with kisses because that's our Abba Father. He loves us just as we are. See, the Father, he, he runs, he, he, the Bible says that he runs and he falls on his neck and he kisses him. Well, why don't you go do a root word study on kiss? On that, in that ver- right there out of that verse. It means a continuous kiss. It means a kiss, that actually kissed the son clean. See, where had the son been? The son had just been with the pigs. He's covered in pig poo. <laughs> I almost said something else. <laughs> he, he's, covered in, he's covered in pig poo, and the father comes and he kisses that son clean. He kisses that pig poo right off him because that is the heart Of a father, he comes to wash us clean and to make us clean and to restore us back into relationship with him. See, the father, the boy hasn't repented yet. The boy hasn't opened his mouth yet. He hasn't had a chance. The father's kissed him, hugged him, fallen on him, embraced him, right? There's a point I forgot. See, to outrun the leaders of the city. This is the Jewish man. And that Jewish man would have had a gown on. I don't know if you've ever tried to run, you know, ladies, ever <laughs> tried to run with a long gown on, you know, it doesn't work out too well. We've been in a potato sack race, you know, it's like, <laughs> you can't run, you can't run too fast. And that father would have had to have pulled his gown up to beat the leaders of the city. But that's not good in Jewish culture. Because in Jewish culture, you do not show your legs because it brings shame. It is taking upon shame upon yourself to show your legs in public. But yet, that's exactly a picture of Jesus right there, that he took on our shame, that we would never have to carry shame again. So he runs to the sun, he kisses the sun, he falls on him, he he outruns the leaders of the city, and he kisses the sun, and then... The father says to him "I'm sorry." Then the son says to the father, "Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in your sight, I am no longer worthy to be called your son." See, we we think as believers to call ourselves not worthy is been is been humble, is false humility which is actually pride. See, we can't. I, I touched on this yesterday. We can't afford to have a thought in our head that our Father doesn't have in his head towards you, and he does not say towards you, you're not worthy. Because if we say we're not worthy, we have just denied the power of the blood of Jesus of what he says about you. And it's something I've had to deal with in my life of constantly over many years, of because I said this yesterday, I'm not going to become what the Father thinks of me. I'm going to become what I think the Father thinks of me. So, what do you think He thinks of you? See, if you're sitting here this morning and saying, I'm not worthy because I'm not worthy because of this, and I'm not worthy because of this, because I've done this and I've done that, and I'm not worthy, you might think you might be sitting there saying, I'm not worthy because you don't have a relationship with the Father. My friend, He tells you this morning that you are are worthy you are worthy there's not one person in this room that is not worthy that every single one of us are worthy because of the blood of Jesus see the son he he says I am not I'm not worthy I'm not worthy to be called your son see the son comes with his condemnation He's filled with condemnation and he brings his condemnation to the Father. Father, I'm not, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Did you notice the Father doesn't add his condemnation? You're right. You're not worthy, son. You're just a dirty little stop out. He doesn't add his condemnation. He doesn't add his condemnation. In fact when your thoughts are not lining up with his thoughts of what he thinks about you, I would like to suggest to you the father turns his deaf ear and he goes, I ain't listening to that because the father does not respond. And often we come to the father and we, oh, father, I'm not worthy, I'm this and I'm that and I'm, I'm just so dirty on this and oh, you know, I've just messed up and it's like, Not listening. I'm not listening to that because it doesn't line up with what I say about you. See, the father turns his deaf ear and then the father turns and he says, it says, but the father says to his servant, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and put sandals on his feet. See, the father had one interest in mind. It was to call out and return the son to identity, to remind the son of who he was. He didn't bring condemnation. He didn't add condemnation. He's like, I'm going to show you who you are. And I believe, I truly believe with all my heart that the only way, that one of the only ways that we're going to see this nation turn, when I talk about this nation, I'm talking about Anzacs, you know, New Zealand and Australia. The only way we're going to see our nation's turn is by the fathers. And when I talk about the fathers, I'm talking about the mothers as well. The fathers, the parents of our cities, to stop calling their sons and daughters out on their sins and start reminding the sons and daughters who they are. I do, I believe it, I believe it with all my heart is that we need to start reminding people who they are because it's our responsibility to tell the sons and the daughters to keep on telling them and to tell them and to tell them that you are greater than that. This is who you are. This is what this father says about you. To tell my daughter this morning, she's just doing her own thing in life, to say, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. I just love you so much. She goes, "Dad, I just I love you so much too." See, that's that's the heart. That's the heart of a father. See, the Father doesn't want to remind us of our sin, but he wants us to restore us to identity. And he takes that he takes that robe. I wore a jacket this morning because there's no iron in my room, so my shirt was really crinkly. I hung out up in the shower and turned the shower on hot trying to get it out and then put it on. I'm like, Oh gosh, now I'm all wet. <laughs> and he, he takes that he takes the robe. And this is this is not the it wasn't the the bathroom robe that hangs on the back of the toilet door, you know, it's this the royal robe. It's the it's the it's the robe of righteousness, and he says to his servants, "Bring me the robe," and he takes the royal robe, and he says, and he puts the royal robe, the robe the robe of righteousness over his son, and he walks his son. Right past the servants because he wants to show the servants this is my son who has been restored to the identity of the father. <laughs> See, I, I really believe that we're, we're in this, we're in a movement, and we need to come into a movement of the father's heart because it's not. It's not our repentance, according to the Scripture, it's not our repentance that brings the goodness of the Father, it's the goodness of the Father that brings us to repentance. He had not repented before the Father lavished His love upon that Son. See, my my daughter, when she was at UC Davis, you know, I mean, I cried for two weeks and And uh, you know she'd come home once in a while, and you know come see us for a weekend or whatever. And and I just I I, I I'm getting this revelation of like I got to stop talking politics with her. You know she has different views on many things, different views on abortion. She just she's got just so many different views, and it's like, do I am I going to be dead right, or am I going to have a relationship? I don't give a rip who she votes for. I don't give a rip of any of her views that are opposing to mine because I'm more interested in this. And I tell her our relationship has been become so, so much better over the years, because I'm not interested in talking about why I think she's voting wrong. I'm not telling you who I'm voting for) <laughs> except let's build the wall. (laughs) I'm more interested in this. I'm more interested in showing the heart of a father, of displaying the love of the father. And one night I, I, I already told you that if my kids call me, I will answer. And one Friday night, I led the Friday night service for about eleven years. And one Friday night, I'm uh, nine years. I'm sorry. And one Friday night, I'm I'm, lead, I'm not only leading the service; I'm preaching. And I, I preach, you know, once every six weeks or something like that at Friday night service, revival service at Bethel. And and one Friday night, I'm I'm about to go onto the platform, and my my text goes. I actually, my kids called me now. I, I think I left my phone there. I wouldn't know. But my 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 text goes, and I and I look at it, and the the preachers the the uh, someone's introducing me, and I look at it, and it's her. Emma is her name, and she goes, "Hey, Dad, I'm, I'm really mad," and I'm like, "Oh, what have I done now?" You know, I didn't say that to her, but I'm thinking, oh, "What have I done now?" You know, and I'm like, oh, "What what what's going on?" And she goes, "Oh, this happened at work today," and I'm just. I'm really mad and I'm really upset about it. And I, I text her back and I said, well, hey, why don't, why don't you come home? They're introducing me, right? And I'm texting like crazy and I'm like, why don't you come home for the weekend? And she goes, dad, I can't. And I said, why can't you? And she said, because I got to work this weekend. She was a sports medic. Just funny, she can't stand blood and bones, but she's a sports medic. I'm like, I said, why don't you just come home? She goes, I can't, I, I, I've got to work. And I'm like, hey, why don't you just get somebody for your shift? And she goes, um, I can't. And I'm like, why can't you? She goes, Dad, I've only got $50 in my bank account. I have to work tomorrow. I need money. I said, how much will you earn tomorrow for a shift? And she goes, about $50. And I said, if you come home, I'm going to give you 100 Cash. Just don't tell the IRS. It's going to be tax-free. Put a $100 bill in your hand. And I'm going to pay for your gas on your car both ways. And she goes, okay, well, I'll see what I can do. So I'm, I'm preaching, and I get a text message come through. The phone's sitting on the pulpit, and I see it, and it comes through and it says, Dad, I'm, I'm coming home. I'm coming home for the weekend. I, I, I can't wait to see you. And I texted her back. I can multitask sometimes. I'm preaching and texting, and I said, because this father wants to shower you with kisses. And I carry on preaching. And after the service, my intern comes to me and says, hey, Chris, you better go look at your daughter's Twitter account. Now, it's not a place I like to frequent. I don't like looking at her Twitter. By the way, don't even look for me on Twitter, right? It's a closed account. I only use it to follow political stuff, (laughs) I just follow people. I don't let follow, You can follow me on Facebook. Don't even look for me on Twitter. Right? I will not accept your request. So I, I go to Twitter, and they're like, I said to her my intern, I said, no, I, I, I'm not going to look at my daughter's Twitter. And they're like, you need to look at your daughter's Twitter. And I'm like, no, that scares me. It scares me to look at my daughter's Twitter. And they said, go look at your daughter's Twitter. And I come down off the platform, and I, I go to her Twitter account, and I look it up, and, and it says this. It says, tonight, I realized why I have such a high standard for guys in my life. Because my father just showed me how I deserve to be treated. I'm like... <laughs> now, right now, I'm blocked from her Twitter account, but that's a different story. <laughs> I think she's... a. Uh... I think she deleted it because Elon Musk purchased it, which she's against, so she just deleted Twitter. <laughs> it's like, see that that's the heart of a father. See what do you think what do you think he thinks of you? Because you're not gonna become what you think. You're not gonna become what he thinks of you. You're actually going to become what you think he thinks of you. And most of us have a wrong conception and a wrong mindset of what the Father thinks of us. See, the Father's not mad at you. The Father loves you dearly. It's like he's not interested in, well, I'm right and you're wrong, and I'm going to tell you why you're wrong. He's not interested in that. He's actually interested in this. He's interested in relationship. He's interested in love. He's interested in connection. He's interested in lavishing love on you. He does not want to throw stones at you because you've messed up. He wants to shower you with kisses and say, I'm proud of you. And I think that as a body, if we could have a greater understanding of the heart of a father, because he's not just God. He's our loving Father. He's our present. He is, he is Abba, Abba Father, the most endearing thing that we can call him. See, I, I don't even like to call him God. I know he's God, but God seems so distant. It seems like the mystic force in the air somewhere out there. It's like, I call him Daddy. I call him Papa. That's what my girl calls me. Papa, my oldest girl, Papa, is the, one of the only three words she can say. Papa, Papa. And to look at her this morning on that FaceTime, she's been vomiting all night. And to look at her, and I'm like, I'm here. And she goes, Papa, Papa. To get smiled. See, that's what the Father thinks of us. He's not interested in being showing you why you're wrong. Or why he's dead right. He's interested in this. He's interested in that relationship. And I, I want us to I want us to do something this morning, and I, I I know that this is probably not something you'd normally do in church, but we're going to do something a little different, particularly particularly Sunday morning church. Let me let me just say this is that the greatest commandment of all says that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. But it's actually the Pharisees and the teachers of the law that came to him, testing him, saying, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replies and he says that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. It's interesting how that's infiltrated into church. It's like, church, if you're not loving him with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind, you're doomed. How much do you love him? See, perfect love is not how much you love God. Perfect love is how much he loves you. One John. I I personally think that Jesus was actually They tested Jesus with the law, so he answered with the law. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart because he knows they can't. And he's saying, reading between the lines, he's saying, I know you can't, so I'm going to show you how I do it. See perfect love is not how much you love God. I think we've got a little problem if we have to command one another to love the Lord. You get a revelation of how much Papa loves you, we cannot help but just love him back. And I am in love with my father. I'm in love with my Papa. I'm in love. I'm in love with Jesus because it becomes a natural byproduct of understanding how much he loves me. We're going to do two things this morning. And first, it was, this is this is Father's Day, and one of the things we're gonna do is, I, I don't know, I've actually only done it in church on a Sunday morning one other time, and that'll be the second thing we do. But this is Father's Day, and it just felt like such a privilege. It's like, how can I get an opportunity? I get to preach on Father's Day, and I get to bring my message on the Father's heart on Father's Day. I'm like, I've dreamt of this. I've never got to bring this message on Father's Day. I've preached it a few times, but never on Father's Day. Because the world needs to know a loving father. They need to know what it is that, to have a father that actually loves them. And some of you are here this morning, and you say, well, I, I've never had a, a loving father. It's like, I'm talking a biological father. It's like, you know, I, I've had a loving father. I have my father's still alive. I spoke to him this morning. He, I got him out of bed at half past eleven this morning. <laughs> he's like, "What are you still doing in bed? I'm like, do you think you're 80 or something?" And he's like, "Yes, I am." <laughs> he's, and his wife was making him. His wife was making him breakfast in bed at, at half past eleven this morning. I had a loving father, and I had I had a, an incredibly loving grandfather. My my grandfather. I could do I could do nothing wrong in the sight of my grandfather. Like nothing. I mean, he is just like, he's just the the image of Christ to me. I mean, he is just the image of love. I could just do nothing wrong. He's just, just passed away, just just the beginning of COVID, not of COVID. I'll make that very clear. He did not die of COVID or with COVID. He died of old age. He just went to sleep one night and just didn't wake up. And he passed into the arms of his loving father. See, maybe you're here and you might look at me and say, but you've... You've had a great father. You've had a great father. I can tell you I haven't had a great life because my father's wife is not my mother. She's actually my third. I had, I had a tough life, and I don't want to go into details of all that because we're streaming, and, you know, and my second stepmother is, is still alive, but I, I'm, I'm a runaway. I had a rough life. I, I ran away from home the day I was 15 to never to, never to return to live, never ever return to live. I, 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 know, I know what it is to be mistreated. I know what it is to be abused. I know what it is to be beaten. I know what it is to try to be killed. But it's okay because I'm healed because I've got a loving father. I got a heavenly father that's so proud of me and that so loves me that he gave his very life for me. He gave his only son that I can have life and that I can be loved. And you might be here this morning. You say, well, I I need to know that. I need to know that love of the father. I don't have that relationship with the loving father. Then my friend This is your day because this is not about inviting you to a church and it's not inviting you into a religion. This is about inviting you into a relationship with a loving Father who adores you, who absolutely adores you. He is not wild at you. He is wild about you. And if that is you this morning, I want to give you an invitation. I I do not do the eyes closed, bow our heads. It's like that to me just, just doesn't seem right. I want with every head up and everyone looking around, if you know that's you and you need to know that relationship with that loving Father right now, be bold and put your hand up because I want to invite you to meet my Jesus. Bless you. Bless you. Bless you. Bless you. Bless you. Anybody else that say, I need that Jesus. I need, I need that Father in my life. Bless you miss you.